Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, so I'm Jerry, one of the pastors here. If you're visiting this morning, special welcome uh, to you. Great having you at church at the start of 2020. And what I want to do today, I'm actually doing a two-part series. So today will be part one, and then next week obviously will be part two. And what I wanted to do is I actually had something just really stirring in my heart at the end of last year that I wanted to bring to the church as a bit of a heart catalyst for us going into 2020. And so the series is called Pleasing a Pleased God. Pleasing a Pleased God. As it came towards the end of last year, I couldn't escape this thought that God is pleased by nature but that doesn't mean he's pleased with our actions by default. And it just kept going around in my head that I felt God said, you know, my nature is that I'm pleased. That's my default nature. Because of what Christ has done, my default nature is that I'm pleased, but that doesn't mean that I'm pleased by default. And I began to just explore a little bit about what he was trying to convey to me. And I thought that it was a really fitting message to bring at the start of the year. Because if you're like me, I, I do like New Year's resolutions. Uh, and, and I tell you this, when growing up as a kid, we had to present to our dad New Year's resolutions. And this for me started when I was about eight years old. We had to go away, spend a few days talking to God about them, write them out, and then present them to my dad. And all the kids would ever come and present our goals for the upcoming year because we didn't have a strategy, we didn't put down on papers, and it was just a wish list, and we had to be precise. My dad was very Dutch, he was six foot three and a bit, and there was an order to everything. If he ever had conflict, dad would start by pulling out his pen and paper and go, okay, let's get logical and write down our action points and our pros and cons. If I had a fight with my brother, we would have to go away and write a paper on what the cause of the conflict was, what we could have done better, so that we wouldn't encounter these problems again. And now that I'm a parent, <laughs> I have an understanding of what Dad was wanting to achieve, but now that I look at my kids, I'm just like, that was never going to work. <laughs> I just want to pause for a moment because there's a great man in the church I want to honour just saying Pastor Stan's here this morning. Can we put our hands together for Pastor Stan? Pastor Stan, if you want to learn about leadership, we'll tell you there's three C's of leadership. Communication, communication, and communication. So last year, I got smart. I made one goal, which I knew I would accomplish by halfway through the year so I could ride the rest of the year out with a feeling of success. <laughs> but as a kid, you know, the dad would say, hey, you've got to make these resolutions, and my older brother and my older sister, uh, we would get together I'm like, damn, we're supposed to do this again. Oh, what should we do? Oh, I don't know. And then, inevitably, the time frame would come around and Dan would say, kids, uh, after breakfast, you're going to show me your resolutions that you've had all week to prepare. And we would go, oh, Stan, I forgot all about it. What did you write? I didn't write anything. What did you write? I didn't write anything. Oh, what did we do last year? We forgot. Okay, what did we write now? Okay, let's just write those same things again. So I will share with you the four resolutions that I had every single year as a child in order. Number one, because I wanted, I knew how my dad worked and what, what, what he valued. Number one, 
This year, my main goal is I will grow closer to God and read my Bible more. Number two was I'm going to do well in my schoolwork and be good for mum because we were homeschooled. Number three was I'm going to try and keep my room tidy. <laughs> Once my mum and dad were away in Grand, while was looking after us, and there were no cows in the house. And so she went searching, she found 14 used cows stuffed under my bed. <laughs> when I got married, I said to my wife, I said, honey, before you marry me, there's one thing you need to know. I have tried to have a tidy room my entire life. My mother has tried and has failed to get me to have a tidy room my entire life. Some things do not change. And if you're happy to marry me, know that my side of the bedroom will always be messy, then that's fair, but I don't want to hear complaints about it when we're married. <laughs> I have a tidy bedroom. We've got a grips. And my fourth one, which always had the most intimidation wrapped around it, was to pass our classical music exam at the end of the year. They are my four goals. And as we go into 2020, what I want to stir our heart around today is this simple truth that what our values are, and what we think is important, and what we think is significant, what we hold dear, isn't necessarily the same as what God knows is important, what he knows truly values, and what he holds dear. And the simple fact is that often God's ways aren't our ways, and his values aren't our values, and that if we want to have a sense of fulfillment, not only in this lifetime, but to enter into a great reward in the next, it's just very important that as we start out here, that we catch from God's heart well, what really matters to you for my life this year? What, what really matters to you? Because we can go, you know what? I want the classic Kiwi goals. I'm going to finish off my house. I want to plant some more trees. I'd like to be able to save for a family holiday. And we begin to, to hold these thoughts and build our imaginations around these things. And there's nothing wrong with those things. I mean, if your goals are to become a warlord, that's a bad goal. There's something wrong with that. But you're like, I want to have a great family holiday, and that's one of my main goals. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And maybe that's something that God's really speaking over your life and your family this year. But what if, but what if his values or his goals were different, and out of ignorance, we missed them because we didn't take the time to acquire? And this is what I want to say about God being pleased by nature, but not necessarily pleased by default. When God looks at us, for those that have given their lives to Jesus Christ, he looks at us through the eyes of Christ's sacrifice. So when he looks at us, he goes, man, Mitch is 100% pure, he's, he's blameless, he's righteous, he's in right standing with me, I made him in my own image, my gospel, that guy is stunning, I'm so pleased with my handiwork, I'm pleased with him. Now when Ryan and Mary men, and used to her a little bit without checking things past it, because you know, Permission and forgiveness, they work in different orders. <laughs> I like to think that Rowena was pleased with me, and that's why she married me. That she was pleased with the choice. But I said, will you marry me? Because yeah, this is a good choice and we'll marry you. So her default is that she's pleased with me. I don't know if you've ever tried to please somebody that's just grumpy with you and doesn't like you as a person. It's just really hard to score brownie points with someone that thinks you're moral. 
I'm just speaking. There's been lots of people that haven't liked me. And I've always been like, man, they must have like a disability or something in their brain. When people tell me they don't like me, I'm just like, wow. People should make a documentary on you. You're like a rare breed. So Rihanna's default is that she likes me. Now, if you know me well enough, you know that I've got a little bit of addiction to chicken. I eat way too much chicken that could possibly be healthy. I'm just hooked on it. And I'll often have, I'll often start my breakfast with chicken. You know? At the moment, I have one and a half chickens pre-cooked in my fridge, just in case. You know? And so, when I eat chicken, and sometimes I like to eat chicken at 10 o'clock at night in bed, and then I leave the plate with the bones on the floor, and then, sometimes I forget about it. <laughs> Step over them and I go to the gym. Mm. And when Rona gets up and brushes her teeth and she looks at the bone, she doesn't go, that isn't so clever. He <laughs> needs so much protein. He <laughs> kept those carcasses so clean, so clean. She goes, oh, why can't you clean up after yourself? Why can't you have some maturity? You know? Just because she's pleased with me doesn't mean that my actions please her by default. And it's the same with us with God. You know, just because he's pleased with us, he doesn't look at everything we do and go, oh my gosh, you know, they, they burp rainbows. It's phenomenal. <laughs> he actually has quite high expectations and standards on the workmanship of his excellence. Because I, I make you in my own image, and so I expect not from a point of view of pressure, but just from cause and effect. I make something excellent. I expect excellent results from that creation. You know, when a leaf comes out of a tree, it's not like the tree is going, oh my gosh, I have to produce a leaf, and they keep producing unicorns. It just produces leaves. It's cause and effect. So when God goes, man, I make you in my own image, I expect the actions and values of my likeness to flow out of that person. And there's this interesting thing, is that I believe, looking at the Bible, that God will judge us based on what we did with the gift of righteousness that he gave us. So, so when, we, when we die, we go to heaven. If you are in Christ, and what I mean by that is, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and you're my Lord, you're my Savior, God goes, you're, you're totally redeemed. Every sin, every bit of brokenness, everything wrong you've ever done, Jesus Christ bore the cost of that and all of the punishment that was associated with those failings were placed on him upon the cross. So when you stand before God on the day of judgment, and each one of us will stand before God on the day of judgment, the great and terrible day of judgment, the Bible says, terrible for people that have not responded to the gift of salvation and great for those that have. And so we'll stand before God in judgment and he won't look at us and say, well, you were mean to this person, you were rude then, and this like that. There's nothing to do with punishment. But he will judge us based upon what did you do with the gift of righteousness that I gave to you. I gave my life for you to redeem your identity and restore you back into the image of God. You were fallen then, and I lifted you up when I myself was lifted upon the cross. What did you do with it? And the Bible says this. It says that there'll be those, basically, paraphrasing here, there'll be those that stand before God that have led a, a righteous lifestyle, living their lives for Christ, and, and God will say to them, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into very great and rich reward. And to others that led their lives for themselves, the Bible says that they will be like ones who escape into heaven like a man running from a burning house with nothing to show for it other than their soul. And so I began to think around this a lot throughout last year, and I began to lose uh, myself for a little bit in this deep thinking. Because every decision that I, I make, with the best of my ability, and I don't always achieve this by any stretch of the imagination, but I try to weigh up, especially big decisions, the eternal value of this decision. Will this decision bring about an eternal value? Does it have an eternal worth? Will it benefit the creation in God's call? Or is this just self-fulfilling? And if it's just self-fulfilling, then I really want to weigh up, is this decision worth the time and effort that it takes? Because our lifetime for a moment is so short, and eternity is for its eternal. And this is what I think is really interesting. If, I, if we were to know, and the Bible says no one knows when Jesus is coming back. You know, the Bible says he'll come like a thief in the night. But let's just say, hypothetically, it gave you a doubt. And let's say that you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus would be returning in 50 years from today. And you just know 50 years from today, Jesus is returning. I could guarantee us that everybody, myself included, in this room will begin to alter the order of values and priorities in their life. You would start to go flip 50 years, Jesus is going to come back. All the names of people that, that we have that don't have a relationship would be constantly in front of our minds. The things that we do and, and the things that we go after and our priorities would begin to drastically shift if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus would be returning in 50 years. The irony is, based on the average age of this room at the moment, whether Jesus comes back for the world or not in 50 years, he's coming back for you in about 50 years. Whether he comes back for everybody, regardless, based on the average age of our church, you've got 50 years. 50 years to give everything to the cause of Christ and the call on your life so that when we stand before God, we stand before a pleased God who's pleased by nature because of what he did in Christ. And he goes, man, your entire lifestyle gave me pleasure. And so as I began to, to think around this, I began to think, man, I really want to give God great pleasure. There's this incredible teaching that I would love to bring to the church later on in the year, but in a snapshot, it goes along the lines of this. The Bible talks about the fact that through different attributes and different faithfulness, we win for ourselves crowns of life. Those that were faithful for Christ during periods of long suffering and did not turn away from the cross, but even through persecution continued to be faithful and won for themselves crowns of life. And, and, and the explanation goes that on the day of judgment, when we stand before Jesus and he says, man, you love you. I gave my life for you. And in that moment, we we if I was to stand face to face before God, we become transformed in his likeness. There'll be those that live their lives intently for Christ and have won crowns of life. And when you stand before the one that gave you everything, 
You'll be one that has a crown of life that you get to lay it. And speaking of Jesus, I also have something for you. The Bible says that it's, it's better to give than to receive, and he's designed it in such a way that when we stand on the day of judgment, we stand before Jesus Christ, he says, man, I so loved you. That we can go, man, Jesus, I so love you too, and I have brought a gift for you into eternity. And the great reward is not only do we get to be in eternity with God and, and be heaven, but we actually get the privilege of bringing a gift to the king. And, and so I bring this, this word today because I know that God's so pleased with us. But I know that there's a specific call on each one of our lives that God designed uh, moments. It says in Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians 2, that there are acts predestined that God has ordained for us to step into, works of Christ that He's ordered for our life to achieve. You know, and you might go, well, you know what, what, what greatness could I do? You know, what could I do that Jesus would possibly love? You know, it says in Isaiah that our most righteous acts, God compares to use rags. You go, well, that's entirely unhelpful. Imagine, though, it's like this. Imagine you're the most great artist on the planet. You're just the best artist there is. And everyone's like, you're the greatest. And then you have a three-year-old that makes you a birthday card. Compared to your artwork, their artwork is not even useful for kindling. You know, it's just useless compared to what you could do. But because it's someone that you love, it's a great treasure. Now, you might be like Rowena, and then when the kids make art, she tries to save as much artwork as she can. I wait till they're out of the room and go, oh, man. Oh, that's so nice. Because my room's already mentioned, I don't need more. Because a lot more like Rowena than like me. He's just like, I just want to treasure this. This is so special to me. But it's, it's really easy. I don't know about you, but it's, I find it really easy to become distracted by the pressures of the world. And, and I find it really easy to lose sight of what truly matters to God. And throughout last year, I, I was reading James and you know, thinking around these verses where it says, without faith it's impossible, impossible to please God. Faith without works is dead. So I, went, well, I really want to please God. I know he's pleased by default, but I really want to give him pleasure. I don't know how much works I really need to show that my faith is real. So to play on the safe side, I'll just do a little bit more than I'm doing now. Seemed like good maths until about two weeks went by, and then I went, Oh, maybe I need to do a little bit more than I was doing then. So, do a little bit more, then I was like, Wow, well, a few more weeks went by, and I went, Oh, maybe just to be really sure, I'll do a little bit more work. And then, pretty soon, I was working through the majority of my days off, doing really long hours, and then I found myself sitting in front of Richard Black, who's a Christian counselor, probably by the orders of Rowena. And he said, Tell me. What is the problem? And I, and I went through, wow, I actually want to please God, this, 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 and this, and this. I'm doing this, and I haven't slept, and I'm working this, I'm seeing this person, praying for this person, preaching here, running this, yada, 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 yada. And she thought, oh, wow, you sure I can't with a lot of used rats? 
And I went, what are you talking about? And he began to you know, take Isaiah for me. God can teach you most righteous acts as a youth for that. He said, well, how do you feel about that? And I said, well, Richard, pretty angry. <laughs> pretty angry, man. Pretty ticked off. Not impressed at all. I could have been having days of rest this entire time. Which probably would have been obedience. Which the Bible says is better than sacrifice. I've screwed myself twice. And he's not even impressed. I said, alright, Richard, tell me this. If you're so clever, in the first direct conversations, I said, if my workmanship will never meet his standards of what excellence actually looks like, if my deeds cannot measure up to his standards, what is my motivation to ever try? And he said, wow, Jared, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? And I was like, well, it's obvious, but I can ask him. <laughs> See, it's gratitude. He's already pleased with you, and nothing you'll do will alter the fact that he's pleased. You actually give him pleasure. But if you're doing things to try and stock up brownie points, that's never going to work. So I doesn't deal with brownie points. He deals in thankfulness. He gave his son for you. How, can not, how could that possibly not invoke anything other than a motivation to give him all that you are and all that you have in return? And I find this to be, for me, a real tension to walk in. The Bible is filled with truths and teachers where it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, and I'll show you that my faith is real by the works that I do. John chapter 6, Jesus says, the work of faith is simply this, to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whom he sent. But yet I want to give God pleasure. And it should come from this overflow of gratitude. How can I do this? How can I live 2020 giving a please God pleasure in this dichotomy? For me, it can only come from regularly rediscovering my first love of Jesus Christ. It can only come from that place. And, and I lose sight of it so regularly. So easily. I want to share you a story and then I'll close with this story. I decided, I decided uh, that God should give me some things. There were some positions that I thought were due uh, based upon my humanistic accounting of how Kevin works in selling a reaper. And so a time came where I decided that this was due me because God would honor the service that I had done, the things I gave so free and unconditionally. <laughs> so a dialogue began, at which I began to thank God in advance for these blessings. And a few more weeks went by, and the dialogue of thankfulness went to remind me. <laughs> And then a few more weeks went by, and the reminding went to whining. Until I woke up at 4 a.m., 
totally ropeable. I was so peeved that he had not done what I felt he said he would do in the timing that was logical. <laughs> and so, as any man can do at 4am, I stepped over the chicken bones and I went to the gym. <laughs> and I lifted weights grumpily for an hour. And at 5am, that did not seem to have altered my mood. So at 5am, looking a little bit like a zombie, I walked the streets of Rangura in the dark, having a very emotional, out loud, crazy looking conversation. In which I began to give God both barrels and all of my opinions. Father, perhaps you should read the book that you wrote. <laughs> Is there another draft I'm not aware of? You owe me. God, I am in lack. Your word says those who love the Lord and seek him will fall their heart will lack no good thing. Behold, the good things that I lack. And I got more and more frustrated. And I was walking down the street complaining, complaining, complaining. If it were in the Bible, it said, Behold, the moron murmured. <laughs> and as I was in mid-flight, as only Jesus can do, he spoke with a sudden clarity directly into my heart. And he said, Jared, do you remember what Paul said? Because, because of my great love for Christ, I am his prisoner in chains. If anyone had a right to boast of anything, it was Paul. If anybody had any right to send God his tax returns and expect a rebate, it was Paul. And God said to me, look at what Paul said, because of his great love for me, he was my prisoner in chains. He wrote that to the Ephesians for being a prisoner in Rome waiting to stand before Stephen so that he could testify to the love of Christ to the highest roar of the land. And Jesus said to me, how would you finish that sentence, Jared? Because of your great love for me. I said, well, because of my great love for you, I'm waiting. This conversation's not going the way that I want. And then he said, furthermore, do you remember how Paul was famous, Jared? He was so successful. Everybody loved him. He was the man. He was so qualified, so esteemed. All the Pharisees thought he was the rock star. And Paul said, I look at my life and I count everything as loss. Everything outside the revelation of Christ and who he is, I count as garbage. And then as I was walking, I started seeing these clear pictures of rubbish bags tied up. He said, he said I say, Jared, the stuff that you're asking me for is rubbish. It's garbage. It's just garbage. Is that what you want? Is that really what you want? And his words started to break my heart and I started crying, going, Jesus, I'm sorry. And he started saying, you know, if that's what you want, I'll do it. If you just want bags of rubbish, I'll give you rubbish all day long. But really, really, Jared, is that what you want? And I started going, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I got so distracted by what I thought was important. Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And now I'm this crazy person talking apparently to myself while crying. And now the sun is coming up. And I know that people probably see me out their windows. 
And I'm going, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. And they wasn't finished. He said, Chad, I gave you everything. I gave my life for you. He said, I give you the honor of bearing my name. Do you ever really need more than that? Is that not enough for you? Is bearing the name of the King of Kings, being in a bear my name, do you really need more than that? And it just totally broke me. And I just went, Jesus, you're right. I don't need anything more. You have given me more than enough. I could not spend a thousand lifetimes repaying the free gift of your salvation. It took everything. And in that moment, it's like God chucked a bucket of cold water over all of my whining, and then he restarted the heart of my first love again. And as my whining, God's love counted me again fresh. Oh, Jesus, I just want your name to always be enough. I just want to give you pleasure. I just want to make you please God proud. And then the next day, as God is so funny, he gave me the things I've been asking for. But I, he doesn't reward whining. Just like we don't reward our kids when they're whining. We don't want to think they think whining is how they get things. When I went back to the first Bible, I just went, God, I don't need any of those things. I just want to seek for a kingdom with all of my heart. And I want to seek your righteousness. I legitimately don't care about that stuff anymore. He went, well, now I can give it to you. But if he had it, it wouldn't have bothered me. Because it was a real encounter. And this is what I want to encourage you with as we start 2020. Live this year fully for Christ. Get a fresh understanding of what it is that he's asking from you. Not from a perspective of I need to prove anything to him, but reconnect again if you need to through that radical first love that out of it will come a generosity of your heart. And God, I will pour myself out on your altar. I'll pick up the cross that you've given me and daily I'll die to myself so that I can live for you. God, you're a pleased God, but I will dedicate every moment of my life to giving a pleased God pleasure because you gave all of yourself to me. And one day I will stand before you on that day of judgment with crowns of life as a token of my immense gratitude and I will place them at the foot of the Saviour and I will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening by following us on social media.